Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Today is Tuesday, June 15th. On the show today, why free food from America is starving people in Haiti. But first, the Planet Money Indicator. Here with today's indicator is Planet Money blogger excellence, Jacob Goldstein. Jacob, what have you got for us? Today's Planet Money Indicator, 17. As in, the Home Builder Confidence Index fell to 17 this month. And that index has a survey of housing builders, how they feel about the housing market, how they think things are going to go. And I'm guessing 17, that doesn't sound good to me. Right. So in this survey, 50 is, is sort of the over-under. If, if the index is higher than 50, it means more builders think things are good than think things are poor. So yeah, 17 really is bad. It's, it's higher than the very lowest lows we saw back in the spring of 09, but it's down from what we've been seeing in the past few months. And that reminds me of what we've seen in housing prices. Things have been falling a little bit in recent months, but they're still higher than they were compared to early last year. Right. And, you know, we've recently seen the end of some of the big sort of pushes to prop up housing prices. The the homebuyer's tax credit expired and the Fed stopped buying all these mortgages. So now that those things are done and we're seeing this weakness, uh, the question is whether prices are going to keep falling through the summer. And, and this indicator, as well as some of the other signs we've been seeing, suggest we may indeed see some more declines. Always here to depress us. That's my job. All right. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, guys. So, Caitlin, you and I obviously just got back from our trip to Haiti. We were there in part to see how the economy is doing five months after the earthquake. And we found a bit of a mystery that we're trying to solve today. Right. I noticed something pretty strange in Quatabessal, which is the main market in downtown Port-au-Prince. Now, to picture this place, it's, Adam, you've been there, you know, it's dirty, it's hectic, there's just hundreds of vendors sprawled everywhere, and they're selling everything from shampoo and used clothes to mangoes and live chicken. If I remember correctly, Caitlin, you got a bit of recently live chicken all over you. Yeah, I have to say, my mistake, I stood too close to the chicken butcher. But anyway, there are tons of people selling all sorts of things here. One of the most popular things is rice. And so you have some people sitting under makeshift stalls made of scrap metal and whatever wood they could find. Some people have several large bags of rice, different colors and varieties, and others are just sitting out in the really hot sun with just one or two small bags. I talked to one seller in particular who told me she was having a terrible day. She was laying under this makeshift tarp, sleeping in the shade, on top of four huge sacks of rice. Her name was, well, I'll let her say it. Madame Lomo has been selling rice in this market for 25 years, and she says since the earthquake, business has been terrible. When I spoke with her, it was about 3 p.m. She'd been there since the very early morning, and she hadn't sold anything. And she wasn't the only one. Almost every rice vendor I spoke with had a similar story. They hadn't sold anything, or if they had, it was a very small amount. And this was the mystery. Rice is part of almost every meal in Haiti. Everyone eats rice, so how could demand just dry up? Why aren't people like Madame Lomo and other vendors making any money? Why aren't they selling any rice? 
So we spent a lot of time digging into this question, why is the rice business doing so badly? And we learned there are a lot of factors going on. So one is, as if Haiti needed more bad luck this year, it just was the worst rice harvest that anyone can remember. Just horrible weather. They've just not produced as much rice as they normally do. On top of that, there is lots of free rice all over the place. USAID, the World Food Program, they are giving rice away. And it makes sense. There's lots of people in Haiti with no money who are starving. And you see people standing up in lines getting a big bowl of rice. But obviously, if you get a big bowl of free rice, you're not about to turn around and buy rice. And then that Free rice is making its way onto the market. We saw lots of people sitting in front of sacks that say, gift of the American people, USAID, and they're selling it in the marketplace. But this is not all just because of the earthquake. It's not a 2010 problem. This is a problem that's been going on for years and years and years for Haitian rice farmers. U.S. rice has dominated the Haitian market for at least 15 years, maybe longer. Right now, it's something like 80% of rice eaten in Haiti, or maybe more than that, is imported rice, most of it from Arkansas, I was told. And you can see this really clearly in the market. The amount of rice they sell, they call it a marmot picture something like a large coffee can. And for the imported rice, you can buy a marmot for something like 20 Haitian dollars. Which is about, I'm doing it in my head, around $2.50. And then the rice that's actually grown in Haiti is selling for something like 30 Haitian dollars. Which is closer to $3. So a pretty big difference. So for us, we're learning all this and the mystery is only deepening. How is it possible that rice grown in Arkansas is so much cheaper in Port-au-Prince than rice grown not that far from Port-au-Prince. So we decided we have to solve this mystery. We have to do a Planet Money investigation. So we got in a car. We drove. It's about two and a half hours north of Port-au-Prince to La Tibonite. That is the heart of rice country. They call it, for some reason, everyone calls it the breadbasket, but it's the rice bowl, I guess, of <laughs> Haiti. Uh, it's where most of the staple food is grown. And it was really amazing. I mean, you, you just turn this corner and Everything is rice. There's just right alongside the road, there's all these rice fields, these tiny little rice farms with workers out there. Every house seemed to have a huge tarp with rice drying in the sun in front of it. We saw the markets filled with rice, these women somehow carrying massive sacks of rice on their heads. Rice was everywhere. So we stopped off. Our first stop was this tiny building that had a particularly massive amount of sacks of rice right in front of it. We thought, okay, they they probably know something about the local rice market. We went in, and we hear this loud sound of a motor. So we're inside this little shack, and there's a small group of people, and they're pouring bags of rice into this really old-looking machine that has these crazy belts on it and it's just it's so loud in this small room and they're milling rice they're pouring huge sacks of rice into the machine and what it does is it cracks off the outer skin of the rice and this has to be done before you can eat the rice and it was so loud in there we're like okay we have to go back outside so we go back outside and on the right side of the shed that has that milling machine in it we see two women and they're standing in a small river and it looks like they're sort of splashing around And so we're kind of wondering, what are they doing? And then we get closer and we realize that they're standing on bags of rice. And they told us that what they were doing as they were sort of jumping on these bags of rice is that they were trying to make sure the rice fully submerged in the water. One of the women, her name was Marana Anarab, she prefers Manab Claude, told us that it's this water that gives the rice of Latiboni its yellow color. 
Our driver Sebastian told us that people in La Tibonite do not actually eat much of the rice of La Tibonite because they know how it's made. And I and I do have to say the river it was probably the dirtiest river I've I've ever seen. It was it was really it was, it was gross. It was nauseating. And to think that the rice has to seep in that river water before you eat it was not it was not a pleasant idea. Madame Claude, explain the process to us. It's actually kind of complicated. First, you soak the rice in the water for a day, and then you bring it out, dry it out, plant the seeds in the ground. It takes like three months for it to grow. It's, it's a pretty long and complicated process that they go through. And she said basically they only have two seasons a year where they harvest rice. So they're really spending a lot of time and energy on it. And I think this started to really solve the mystery of why Haitian rice is so expensive even though people don't particularly want to eat it. And if you picture a rice farm in Arkansas, picture something massive, you know, huge, huge acres with one or two workers driving in huge tractors. They probably have GPS positioning in their tractor to get the lines exactly right. They have state-of-the-art processing. They are not having two women devoted to jumping on a sack of rice and then carrying by hand that one sack of rice to an incredibly tiny field where their husbands plant the rice hand by hand and then mill it in some ancient machine. You start adding up, you know, a nickel here, a dollar there, and you realize that they are growing rice so inefficiently. No wonder it costs so much more than U.S. rice. And I'm not even getting into the whole issue of U.S. subsidies of rice, which pushes the price down even farther. And all these factors that we just talked about, the bad crop, the tremendous amount of imported rice, the inefficiencies and the way the Haitians grow their own rice, I mean... Here in Lati Bonite, where the people depend on the money from this rice, this is where the effects of all this are really clear. I've spent a fair amount of time in Haiti since the earthquake, most of that time in the earthquake-affected area. Madame Claude, two and a half hours outside of the earthquake area, no damage from the earthquake. She was the first Haitian who has ever said to me, I'm hungry, can you give me some food? And that happened the whole time we were in La Tibonite. Almost everyone we met said, I'm hungry, can you give me some food? And this was, I can't tell you how upsetting, how strange it was. Here we are in the rice bowl of Haiti. Everywhere there is rice. And everyone we meet is starving. They're starving because they're making this choice. They can either feed their families or send their kids to school. Take Madame Claude. She has rice, but if she eats the rice, she has nothing to sell. Or she can keep the rice and sell it for so little money that maybe it's not even enough to feed her family anyway. But the thing that she's really focusing on is just having enough money to send her kids to school. That is her priority. She does not want them to end up like her and her family, just trying to make whatever living they can off the rice and not knowing how much they're going to make year to year. She wants them to be doctors or lawyers or engineers. And so school is just the most important thing to her, is getting her kids educated. This is another one of the really horrible things about Haiti. There is not enough money in the government's budgets to pay for even a tiny fraction of the kids to go to school. So only 10% or so of Haitian kids get to go to public school. The rest go to private schools, usually almost all of them religious schools. So Madame Claude said, if you want to understand the life of a poor Haitian farmer, you got to go to where their kids are. You got to go see the school. And then she said, you want to come? 
I can take you. My kid's school is just down the road. And so we, of course, said, yeah, let's go. Let's go. So we got in the car with Madame Claude, and we drove several miles up this bumpy road to a small one-room school. She said most of her kids walked to school, but for the little one, she pays a motorcycle. And I couldn't understand why. I mean, it was, it was kind of a long walk. And we get to the building, and, well, it's not actually a school. It's a church. And you go inside, and you see these blackboards that are precariously leaning against the wall on chairs, and then the kids are actually sitting in pews because they don't have desks. So they're trying to take notes on their laps, and it's just awkward. They're kind of tilted in this weird position. And there's two classes taking place in this one room that's basically made of cement cinder blocks, and so it's so loud. Everything is just echoing off the walls. And it was really actually wonderful to be with Madame Claude in her kids' school. Back at the mill and in, in the river, she just seemed so tired, so worn down, so so sad. And then we walk into the school, and she just has this happy, proud look. She's just, two of her kids were in the front row of the fifth, sixth grade, and she's just looking at them with this gorgeous smile. It was, it was really sweet. And she was so happy to introduce us to her kids. Who are studying? It's a mathematic class. What class do you have? And then she introduced us to the principal of the school. That's right, Principal Simplice. Caitlin, don't you mean Monsieur Awesome? Oh, yes. Excuse moi. Monsieur Awesome. Actually, that's kind of what you and I took to calling him because he was just this awesome guy. You could tell the kids loved him. Madame Claude loved him. And and I have to admit, we kind of fell in love with him, too. He was just so devoted to these kids in his school. And you could just tell that he really cared about what he was doing. Madame Claude told us that Principal Simpliste, Monsieur Awesome, is an incredibly patient man. He gives her lots of extra time to pay off her children's tuition when she doesn't have enough. We asked him about that, and he said he doesn't really have a choice. His school serves the poorest of the poor rice farmers in La Tibonite. To demonstrate, he asked the class a question. How many of them have parents that work in the rice industry? So that was almost all of them. I then asked him on any given day how many of the children here are hungry because he explained that they don't have enough money to feed the kids at school. He said almost all the kids are hungry every day. Their parents are like Madame Claude. They are not eating their rice because they're selling it so that they can pay for school. Um, Principal simply says the school has been hit really hard by the lousy rice market. Most families just simply cannot pay their fees at all this year. He took us in the back and, and pulled out of an old file cabinet these few sheets of loose-leaf paper that was the school's account books, and it showed how much each family owes the school. Each sheet of paper 
was one particular grade, and so you'd have each kid's name. Tuition, if you pay it in full, is 350 Haitian dollars. That's around 45 bucks in the U.S. Next to each kid's name is a number, which is how much his or her parents still owe the school. So this is like sixth grade, Charles 350, uh, Fenard 150, Jerome 250, DeRose 50. So in the entire sixth grade, one kid paid most of his account, and the majority paid nothing. Yes, yes, exactly. The principal says that they never get all the money, but most years they get enough to get by. But this year, with all the problems in the rice market, he's really worried because they're barely getting anything. So I think for us, what made us call Principal Simplice Monsieur Awesome, he's also the French teacher, I think he's also the math teacher, is how much learning was going on despite all of this poverty. They were really doing serious lessons. We saw geometry, addition, French. Uh, Principal Simplice would write out the entire textbook on the blackboard, at least the chapter they were dealing with, so the kids who didn't have enough money to buy a textbook could write down what the textbook said in their notebooks and could study it at home. And I kept thinking how much chalk he was using. And the other thing is, you know, I mentioned earlier it was really loud in there, and it was, but when he starts teaching, when he steps up to the boards, the kids are quiet. And they know to pay attention, they know to focus, and and they follow along in the lesson, even though, you know, they don't have textbooks or they don't have notebooks. They're still with them. They're just trying to take it in. Now, Principal Simplice said, don't worry. It's a very, very tough time for the rice farmers of Lartibonite and for the school. But he said, as long as the parents are willing to sacrifice what little they have to send their kids there, he and the other teachers, even if they don't make a dime, they're going to keep classes open. And he really wanted to stress that we shouldn't blame the NGOs or other groups that are sending free rice to Port-au-Prince, which may have hurt the rice market here. He says people need to eat, and it's great for these groups to help the Haitians. But he's still frustrated because he says there hasn't been any help here, where he lives, away from the earthquake zone. He says that a foreigner came a few months ago and asked him what the school needed, but they haven't heard from him since. Now, Adam, you and I did a shorter version of this story on Morning Edition last Friday, and we were really touched by the tremendous response we got from listeners. People wanted to donate money and supplies to help out this school. And, you know, Planet Money and NPR, we're not really set up to do that, but we are talking to aid groups in the area, and we're going to find a way for those of you who want to help to do something. So stay tuned for an update on that. Uh, right now, you can see pictures of the school children in La Tibonite. You can also see some photos of Madame Claude at her house if you visit our blog, npr.org money. I think that's going to do it for us today. I'm Caitlin Kenny, And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.